Cyber Insiders from Adama. Hello and welcome to Cyber Insiders, the podcast that shines a light on what it's really like to work in the world of cybersecurity. I'm John Maynard, Chief Executive at Adama. And I'm Joe Gilhooley, Chief Marketing Officer. On this episode of Cyber Insiders, we're talking to Andreas Fuchner, who has over 25 years of experience operating as a cyber and risk expert within some of the most complex global business environments. An entrepreneur, a board advisor and an investor, Andreas is a well-recognised authority on the cybersecurity industry and advises exciting, high-potential cyber startups in the US and Europe. He's worked with big names such as IBM, Deutsche Bank, Credit Suisse and Hewlett Packard to name but a few. He's also advised organisations such as the World Economic Forum and the Swiss Internet Security Alliance. Andreas is also directly involved in the creation of the National FSISAC for Switzerland together with the Swiss government and the Swiss Bankers Association with the goal of enhancing the cyber defence capabilities for the financial industry in Switzerland. And when he's not got his cyber hat on, he enjoys Coke Zero, classical music and butter under his Nutella. So just before we get stuck into the uh, the important part of this conversation, I've got to ask, uh, butter and Nutella, what's all that about? So what is what kind of question is that? It's a, it's a very know? good question. I think I, I do actually want to know that too, Andreas. It really? make a lot of sense. To describe the perfect combination of butter and Nutella and how does it all go together? You know, it's, it's unbelievable that you don't know that. <laughs> it is white bread, it's butter, and it's Nutella. And it's just perfect. That's heaven. You know, it can be white toast. It can be white bread. It must be fresh. And, you know, if you want to have it extra geeky, then you need to take butter, which is a little salty. I'm going to have to try it, Joe. I mean, this this has this completely blown my mind. Hold Andreas, my yeah. mic, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Andreas, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's great to have you with us. Thank you very much, Joe. Thanks for having me. Andreas, great to see you. I think last time, uh, last time I saw you, you were wandering the InfoSec Europe floors in London. What's brought you here? You know, I'm, I'm here this week uh, for one of my startup companies. We are doing uh, a nice celebration. And uh, after a successful B-round financing, we bring everyone together. And, you know, it's uh, always nice to be here in London and to have something to celebrate. Fantastic. And, uh, you know, your background is incredible, you know, from security and risk uh, into advising companies. Uh, you know, you're around the venture capital, private equity world. Um, you know, what what kind of what started you on a uh, on a career in technology and, you know, why and when the shift into cyber and risk? Yeah, that's a very good question. If, if I look back, I started my career in 94 with a company called Ziba Geige at that point in time. And that was the time when they just introduced uh, client-server environments where everything was on mainframe before. And I was the first one who could really spell PC. And then with that, all of a sudden, I was responsible for it. And so the tech career uh, was given more by, by accident. And the move to security was primarily driven by a change of business business going all of a sudden to do remote access, having medical field workers uh, equipped with laptops. And this was completely new. And the technology there all of a sudden thought, hmm, there are security problems if everyone can use it. And that was my my leap into the security space at the end. Andreas, you've um, you've had a really remarkable career over the last twenty five years. You've been, um, you know, both a practitioner, uh, 
global security roles for large uh, financial services organisations, pharmaceuticals, etc. Um, and also some would say on the dark side, being an advisor to various different technology firms. What, what are the kind of the experiences that have really shaped you and, and, and how's that changed over the last 25 years? You know, I'm so thankful that I had some bosses over time who believed in all that nonsense which I had in my mind and all the different direction what security may end up with. And today I'm very thankful that I had uh, the, the, the advantage really or the opportunity to see all the different angles, right? I was customer in many cases. I was with suppliers, so IBM, HP in, in these cases. I did some consulting. I've seen a lot of things which worked. I've seen a lot of things which didn't work. And so therefore, I'm very thankful really that the opportunities drove towards me most of the time. And you know, I think you know this, I love change. And whenever someone is out there with a crazy idea, I'm up for it, just to test it and to try it and to see really by doing, okay, is this possible or not? And that helped at the end to, to push the limits really. So we, I mean, change is a good word, right? Everyone's talking about transformation, digital transformation. If you go back uh, way and when, when you started, right, in cybersecurity, kind of what's, what's, been, what's been a constant and, and what's changed? So the constant was the change and what, <laughs> the, what has changed was the speed of change. You know, I think what we saw just the last couple of years with COVID, we would have never seen without this crazy situation, right? This acceleration of speed in the, which brought the technical and the, the digital transformation forward is enormous. We always had kind of transformation. We always had certain drivers, but everything was much more careful. And okay, we need, we try, maybe we go, maybe not. And then all of a sudden this big bang here, COVID is there. And we had the opportunity to do things in two years, which most otherwise would have taken us 10 years, 15 years, which is, you know, on one side, bad for the situation, but on the other side, a fantastic situation for the technology development. What do you see as um, the kind of non-negotiables for a modern CISO nowadays? I mean, it's changed over the past decade. We, we see um, those with a technology background or those more with a business background. What do you think are those non-negotiables and, and where, where are we going to be drawing from in the, in the future? You know, one of the things which we saw during RSA, which I noticed for the first time was that all of a sudden CISOs are proud that they survived a cyber incident. You know, everyone talks about it's not a question of when, it's, uh, you know, not a question of if, it's a question of when. But nowadays someone says, look, here, I had this and this incident and I managed through it. And it's kind of a quality statement for achievements, right, which is new. And, you know, I guess to be, to be a pure technical person and to be purely technical driven as a teaser becomes more and more harder for the simple reason uh, boards want to talk about security. Boards are interested about risks, risk reduction, bottom line savings, top line growth. And if you have technical problems or technical backgrounds, that doesn't resonate. So someone who has an MBA kind of background, most is better equipped for the role at hand not necessarily the better CISO, right? Don't get me wrong. But I think the, the CISO, the modern CISO is more of a business person. I think there's a couple of things I'd love to pick up on if, if I can. I mean, the 
transparency around incidents and cyber attacks is something that as an industry I think we've got to collectively solve. There's a lot of stigma. It's a lot of underground. It's kind of buried and certainly something that we're starting to see in the industry is the, the stress and the burnout. You know, there's an awful lot of material in the press around how, how difficult it looks like. When you're faced with that amount of uh, kind of constant pressure, how do how should security leaders and security teams be thinking about defining success and making sure that they they celebrate the wins and you know and then actually kind of try and keep the that the, the, there needs to be a positive kind of mind shift to how they approach it but how do you look at that in terms of what success looks like you know i guess the security community has woken up you know if you're working in the police forces if you work in the army if you work in a ambulance whatsoever you're used to emergencies and you're used to operate under pressure you're used to work following processes with only one target in mind saving people's life saving nations whatever it is but this is very focused in the past security people were really happy about oh here a little toy and here a new thing and management by fear was there for many many years and it worked perfectly well all the people remember year 2000 oh. You've heard of it. <laughs> and gdpr and you know one thing after the other so therefore the professionalism which we see nowadays comes not only from the regulator requiring cyber resiliency capabilities and being clearer that you have tested that also the board knows who declares a disaster that you know how to, what you need to report by when so there's much more structure and while cyber was a little bit more wild wild west 10 years ago it's no longer an you know a wild west thing it is a clear profession you need services, you need management skills, you need communication skills. And that goes back why it's mostly more difficult for a tech-focused person than a management-oriented person. So can we can we can we stay on that? I mean, this is a critical one that certainly we we hear with most of our our clients and and some of our customers that we we talk to. Like, ha, ha, the how you know how, how do you bridge that gap between what is a what has traditionally been historically been a, a technical discipline with the business and with with risk you know how, how do you think about you know I, I call it the widgets and digits or bytes and bits you know falling into this you know I've got tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of vulnerabilities whack-a-mole type type activity how, how, how do you how do you communicate effectively to, to the board you, you've done it as a practitioner you've done it as an advisory member to some of these organizations you know what, what's best practice and how do you do it and what are the pitfalls to avoid you know, I had once a professor at university who told us, guys, whenever you talk, you just repeat what you know. If you listen, if you ask questions, you have the opportunity to learn. And that's the same independently of what background you have, what education to have. You know, board members are just humans like you and I. Ask them for God's sake. What is the point you're interested in? What's the typical style? Ask the assistance of a board. They know how boards communicate. They know how long normally sessions are. Use this opportunity. Talk with them. And, you know, the more you talk about your own things, the more you most probably end up being a geek, a freak, whatsoever put into a corner. If you know that... The regulator talks about a topic. If the external auditor 
has cyber resiliency on the horizon, if you know that the CFO reports uh, his risks in a certain way, steal with pride, copy things which work, don't reinvent the wheel because it's not worth it. It's a lot of effort and the quality most probably is, is, is worse and it doesn't help you really for going forward. Just changing the, changing the topic a little bit, um, cybersecurity companies are often really guilty about spreading an awful lot of fear and uncertainty and doubt. And as a marketeer, I, I do have to hold my hands up and assume that I'm partially responsible for that. But um, on a serious note, like, what do you think of the threat landscape? What, where, where do you think the, the biggest challenges are going to come over the next three to five years in a slightly longer term perspective? You know, I think there are two elements to that. On one side, who wants to cut the bench you're sitting on? Most of the cyber organizations have no interest, no natural interest to solve underlying programs or problems, really, because you need to new, find a new market space later on, right? You need to find something new where to make, how to make money. So that's a fundamental problem uh, which the IT industry has since years, right? There is no doubt that the threat landscape develops more and more. So I think it's also going without any doubts that the attacks are much more targeted, that they are much more clever, and that the perception of most of the people within the security community is still wrong that they say our users are the weakest link. Believe statistics, yes, no, 80 to 90% of all successful cyber attacks come through a human error and often I think roughly 60% through a third party. So if we continue to make the people the problem zone instead of enabling them to be the f strongest first line of defense, we will continue to see uh, these kind of problems because attackers, you know, we heard this a million times, only need to be successful once. And, you know, we all see these phishing simulations, which we say, oh, that's the holy grail you know exactly the more I know about you or that you know about me, you will always find a reason how to fish me if you know enough about me. And that's the way in. And if I don't find anything about you, then I find something about your kids, your grandparents, whatsoever. There are ways. We need to change our mind in empowering people, putting security at the heart uh, of what we do. You know, when you leave the house in the, in the morning, you don't think twice if you need to lock the door, yes or no, it's in your DNA. You know you lock the door or you just put the two dogs behind the door, right? But one way or the other. And we don't have this cyber DNA in us now or still not. And that's one of the areas. The attacks get more sophisticated together with the discussion we had before about the digital transformation. Now that there's more digital services, now that there's more money on the line, there will be more attacks and there's more money to be made. So one, you know, just on that, you know, one, one of the CIOs that, that, I, that I talked to a couple of weeks ago said that, you know, digitization is the, is the lifeblood, uh, or frankly, the, the burning platform of the business. You know, it was, it was so stark that if, if we don't do this, we will die as a company with s significant frustration, I think, directed at security and risk leadership team, you know, in terms of security has sometimes been called the office of no or you know it, it's inertia and you know can we can we transition that to be an enabler of digitization an enabler of change but it was it was so stark to me that actually there's some security leaders out there that perhaps are are not driving change with enough passion not supporting the business not supporting digitization i guess 
you know, the, how do you see the differences between a CIO and a, a CISO's mandate, imperative, or passion? And then, how do you see the CISO's role evolving over over the coming period, given this this change in front of us? Yeah, enablement is a tough one, right? And depending on the business and depending on the speed, I can see why this is difficult for many organizations. But if a CISO organization, which is purely risk-driven and has standards in place, opens itself up to see to, with a different mindset to say, yes, but, and, you know, to say, okay, we have a minimum set of standards which are not negotiable. You know, before an app goes somewhere, it needs to be tested. There is no question that uh, the least privilege is applied even in a test environment, things like that. But instead of applying 800 controls to every project, maybe just go in for with 100, which are non-negotiable. People learn and people accept things. And with that, that goes back a little bit into the DNA question because when people know that like, if I have fulfilled this set of requirements, I have at least the, the playground to push the limits because whenever we push limits, things go wrong, right? And with 800 controls or however many there are, you cannot push the limits. And, uh, you know, I think you remember my triangle where I say IT is, you know, cost leadership, operation excellence, and uh, innovation. If you put a strong focus on operation excellence, that means everything is super secure, everything is super compliant, there is no innovation, and the cost goes through the roof. This, these are, there, are, there are interdependencies. And as a CISO, you need to understand the game of risk. And risk is really a risk-based approach, means you need to accept risks. You need to maybe even say, look, the risk is high, but maybe I can insure it for a certain period of time, or I can still live with the risk. We do compensating controls around, but just saying no is not working anymore. And uh, I think it's today as a CISO, a clearly career-limiting factor. Andreas, having worked with you in the past, I've always been really impressed with your kind of passion and push on the need for data metrics, reporting, KPIs. Again, I can I can draw some parallels being a marketeer, right, around having what are perceived as, as fluffy metrics and then actually being able to translate it in for the business. How have you, you know, throughout your career, how have you thought about translating the we're not going to get attacked into something that the CEO or the CFO or the rest of the board actually want to hear and, and how they can help them to understand yeah, their perception of cyber and risk. You know, secure today is data driven, right? But data most of the time is meaningless without additional information which makes it value information. And if you see modern organization, when you look budget process, they have a waterline where they say, look here, everything above waterline addresses certain risks. And these risks are the highest risk versus, okay, the one below waterline we accept. If you don't measure your risk, if you get the feeling or get the measurement towards the board of, oh, my stomach told me medium, right? You have no trust. You, you will not gain trust. But if you have an transparent risk dashboard it's never 100% correct right but you say look here these are our top 10 risks these are the areas with today's knowledge of attack vectors where most probably something could go wrong and the impact there is the highest people get that and people understand over time that okay 
we get better here. The world moves on. There's something going away. There's something new. But that's that's the business of every CEO or board member managing risks. That's what they understand. You know, sure they want to do cool projects. Sure they want to have happy clients and have happy employees. But at the end, as a board member, you need to take decisions. You need to watch out for growth. You need to watch out for for risk reduction. And that's what, as a good CISO and risk manager, you need to bring to the table. Risk transparency, however strong and however metrics this is, but clarity, transparency, and consistency in the reporting. If you tell them about, oh, how many vulnerabilities you have uh, caught or prevented and how many emails came in, which you, oh, this is, you know, Forget it. This maybe once the people say, mm-hmm, and the second one you're not invited anymore, right? So that's the thing. Talk the language, have metrics which are meaningful, and that's risk at the end. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And I think it it also backs into our, our industry, right? We we tend to um, we tend to have barriers within our industry around the language we use. You know, you mentioned the technical orientation of, of what we do, and traditionally, historically, how the how the industry has kind of grown up, or people have, have entered the industry. You know, it's it was quite you know to see you at Infosec and see everything at Infosec. There, there seemed to be there's still a lot of acronyms, and you know, more acronyms being created every every day, but it. It seemed a little bit less at Infosec. It seemed to be people talking about outcomes a little bit more than, you know, acronyms every every day. But um, I guess I wanted to kind of touch on the outcomes and the trends in the in the cybersecurity market. So we, we've talked about the role of the CISO. We've talked about how we can potentially bridge between uh, the business and and uh, and communicating risk to the board. But what you know, with your role on advising lots of different um, fast-growing organisations in different domains in cybersecurity, what what trends should we be thinking about? Where should we be focusing our time? Where where should we be thinking about what's coming next? That's an interesting one, right? I guess you as a CEO of a company know best how you know creating value and making the shareholders happy. How much? force this this brings and how much of focus it brings right and so therefore i guess in in the world when we when we provide security services we most probably have a different focus than if i'm on the other side and i'm uh, i'm a healthcare company i'm a credit card company whatsoever so security drivers and value creation is very very different but for me, you know, to go back to this risk topic, if we have our risks under control and if we as an organization, independently of what business area we are in, we have a good feeling that we are prepared. If something happens, we know what to do. If something goes wrong, we know how to, where to interfere we know who to call, we know who to talk to and who to inform, we do a good thing. And enabling the business area in with helping them with go-to-market, with knowledge about the risk posture they are facing by doing certain things, I think we do a lot of good stuff already. You know, if we take the other corner and we say, you know, we just came back, you mentioned at the beginning from InfoSec, we had RSA a couple of weeks ago. There's still a lot of acronyms, right? There's the 
XDR and, you know, all this stuff. And I think, okay, you know, even as an insider, you think, boah, how, you know, we need a lecture, you know, an, an index about all this stuff. I guess this will never go away. I guess that's the marketing thing, you know. Like my fault again. <laughs> <laughs> But cloud computing, right? Cloud computing is not normal computing, just somewhere else instead of under the desk here. It's somewhere under someone else's desk somewhere in the world, right? So we are pretty good at this and the whole machinery runs on this. I don't think we will get away from it, but I guess we get much more realistic in, you know, what is it? What do we reduce really? What do we bring to the table? But uh, will it go away? I don't think so. Do you, um, I mean, it's interesting you, you mentioned that, right? Because this shared shared accountability model with cloud and everything, does it, Does it make things easier or does it does it complicate and make the, the challenge just that little bit harder? You know, from a security point of view, <clears throat> I think the cloud offering is so heavily underutilized. Most of the security or the cloud providers offer so far better security than most of the organization have internally. And if you believe against statistics, it doesn't matter if you believe Google, Amazon or whoever, They all say 60 to 70% of our security tools are not used, even if they are part of the contract. Then you wonder. But if you then look internally and say, like, why are you not using this? And then you figure out, oh, we don't have the interfaces. We don't have the data to provide to use them. Then you see that there is a long way to go still. Is cloud the future? For sure, you know, because otherwise we cannot scale. Is there a lot which needs to be done on both sides? Definitely. Cloud offerings, which I have seen it per se, are just more capable, have more capabilities. And by if you use them right, if you configure them right, if you leverage the resources which you pay for, you will have a better security posture as an organization. So rewind to this uh, 1995, Andreas. You know, if you can... You, you may have had hair at that point, Andreas. <laughs> um, a few more, yeah. A few more hairs. Uh, fresh out of university, about to start your first cyber gig at, um, I think it's uh, C the Cibagai. Cibagai. Yeah. What, um, what are you going to tell yourself? What have you learned? I learned so many things, right? Stupid mistakes when you are, uh, you think you, you rule the world and you push everything and you want to, nothing is fast enough, everyone is not understanding you. I think I wouldn't change much. I would just give myself more patience. Yeah. Sometimes I pushed some things too hard and went, annoyed a couple of people, which told me then 10 years later, you know what, I was close to fire you. So that's the learning. So a little bit less passion. But then on the other side, if you don't push the limit, if I would have not pushed the limit, many things would have not happened, right? So, you know, I'm not regretting really anything. And also the, the move around and, you know, healthcare, financial services, internal, external consulting, also starting as an angel investor was a perfect thing to do because there you learn the power of money because if it's all of a sudden your own money, you invest into a startup idea, you think very differently and you really want to help the organization to be successful. That's very different than being an employee somewhere saying, yeah, yeah we work for the organization and everything is great, right? So therefore, I'm not regretting much, to be honest. 
No regrets. There's no a song regrets. in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Andreas, one final question from me. We're we're passionate about people. We you know we're a services organisation. Um, there's a lot of uh, there's a, there's a big gap around skills in the market, right? There's a, there's always massive um, publicity around the fact that there just aren't enough people to fill the vacancies. And common sense would say we'd have to you know start to think outside of those with pure cybersecurity backgrounds. Where do you see talent coming from, or where do you see a divergence between? Uh, different skill sets and, and how would you encourage people to think differently about you know taking up a role in cybersecurity? Yeah, now let me challenge this a little for the simple reason there is a lot we can do with automation still. You know, I guess the numbers which we have today about um, you know shortage of skills is still based on models five, ten years ago. Where we said, look, we just made it up how they will it go and then we have this huge shortage of, in, of of people there's such a big potential in automating processes day-to-day transactions and also security stuff and especially vendors like you have a huge potential there to help organization to overcome this short, shortage of skills by automating their processes so that's for me the, the first one the second one you know creativity always helps right so there are certain technology role, uh, rules and roles which you really need the, the knowledge about but knowledge you can learn you can educate people you can train people you can smarten people up you can learn to fly right that's not an, uh, in, uh, an impossible thing sometimes you just need people with different mindsets and you remember when we had our security operations center in our former employer where we all of a sudden hired some poker players right because the different mindsets of people that a lot of people are afraid right and uh, you know just give young people also people with different backgrounds and skill sets a chance because what can what can go wrong you have no people and you're struggling or you go new ways and you invest into them into your own capabilities to empower these people you know just give it a chance we do a lot of activities in switzerland for a younger generation and also especially for for females in tech and it's pretty pretty nice to see all of a sudden uh, females joining security teams because risk and all these topics are far more closer to their hearts. And it's not a firewall rule. It's a result what what happens there. And uh, I think we just need to change our old day mindset and say, okay, oh, we need this, this kind of rule set. And I'm still amazed, you know, I get one to two uh, mails or calls per week where someone lo- search, is searching for a group CISO. And... I would say 80% of these uh, job descriptions are still the same like 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm just, I have the feeling the industry doesn't get it. You know, we are not making, we are talking and we say, oh, we need new skill sets. We need these kind of things. We need females. We need this. We need that. But it's still copy and paste from 15 years ago. And, uh, you know, I just had lately, I think two weeks, three weeks ago, a discussion with someone saying, yeah, but why that? that job is perfect for you. Why would you not take it? Why are you not interested? Because, you know, I don't need to sleep again with two phones next to the bed, being on all the time. And 
going up on all the time as well, right? This is not the way people want to work anymore. Smart sourcing, smart setup of services, that's the way to go. And then you can use and employ people with different skill sets. But if you do the same thing from 10 years ago and you want to have new people, that doesn't work, doesn't fit together. Some pretty sage advice in there. I've got one, one more question for you. Uh, pineapple on your pizza? Oh, no. Pineapple pizza. That's like Nutella without butter. <laughs> Andreas, thanks for the excellent advice today. And it's, it's, a, it's a great note to end on. So thank you for joining us, Andreas, and for your, your valuable insight. Thanks so much again for having me. It was really fun. Join us next time on Cyber Insiders when we'll be speaking to Rob Black, who's the former Deputy Director of the UK National Cyber Deception Laboratory on behalf of the UK MOD and currently a lecturer at Cranfield University. We'll be diving into how to implement cyber deception as a key element of a proactive cyber defence strategy. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast. You can also visit our Cyber Hub for blogs, articles, videos and cybersecurity advice at adama.com. Thanks for joining us. Cyber Insiders. Untold stories from behind the cyber front line. Follow and rate on your podcast app. Adama. Together, we've got this.